Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohegan people who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr. And I'm your host, Vinnie Polito. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley's coverage of Climate Change Superfund Act. Then Willie Terry finishes his interview with Larry Whitner. Later on, Andrea Cunliffe talks with artists creating murals in South Troy. And after that, K.P. Holler chats with Professor Tom Mackey. Finally, Cinna Basila Hickey speaks with the women behind Women Picturing Revolution and editors of Black Matrilineage, Photography, and Representation, who will be giving a book talk at the Sanctuary this Saturday. But first, here are the headlines. The Department of Environmental Conservation on August 31st notified Noralite Hazardous Waste Incinerator in Cajos that it was a, a rent, uh, amending its expired permit to require the company to treat the ash from its air pollution control as hazardous hazardous waste. This change comes um, after the federal EPA ended an exemption for the coal and mining facilities that allowed Norlite to mix the hazardous ash with the aggregate product the company sells to the construction industry. Norlite has challenged DEC's decision in public hearings and will be held in November. A group of businesses, trade associations, and labor unions filed a federal lawsuit Thursday challenging the legality of New York's ban on gas in new residential buildings. The lawsuit asserts that decades-old federal, uh, a decades-old federal statute preempts any state or local regulations on energy consumption by appliances. A recent ruling from a three-judge federal appeals court struck down a similar ban in Berkeley, California. The Times Union reports that the state legislation has been introduced to require social media companies to limit New York children's access to addictive social media feeds, ban middle-of-the-night notifications, and kick kids offline if they spend too much time scrolling. The bill has the support of the governor and the attorney general. Neil Golub, a founding member of the Schenectady Metroplex Development Authority, credited with restoring downtown, abruptly resigned Wednesday night at the authority's board meeting. Golub exited after a public dispute with Chairman Ray Gillen over the success of Metroplex and its public engagement following a recent public survey. The city of Cahols held a public hearing on Mayor Killer's proposed $30 million budget, which for the fourth year in a row does not include a tax increase. It does include proposed salary increases for various officials, including a 27% increase for the mayor. The mayor's salary, salary, which must be set before the election for a four-year term, was last increased 12 years ago. Governor Hochul recommends and the recommended, and the PSC unanimously agreed to reject a request from companies for bigger payments to complete large-scale wind, solar, and offshore wind projects. The governor also announced a 10-point plan to speed up the transition to renewable energy. 
Bonnie Sheldon, the Republican commissioner at the Rensselaer County Board of Elections, has announced that she is resigning at the end of October. The prior Republican commissioner, Jason Schofield, resigned last December, shortly before pleading guilty to election fraud. This will leave the county without any GOP commissioners ahead of Election Day, when the commissioners are often needed to decide on various election disputes. In a letter obtained by AMNY, the state's welfare department, OTADA, says that it found a lack of evidence to support the claims of misconduct made last month in a New York Times report about the performance of DocGo, hired by the city to, assess, uh, to assist migrants. The Times reported that the migrants in the Albany area had levied several accusations at DocGo for purported health and welfare violations in Albany. Charging that, uh, charging that they were lured upstate with false promises of work, only to met with, only to be met with poor work conditions inside motels and threats from local residents. And that's it for the headlines. That, that's it. That's it. No more. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad base. Cap grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or give us a call at 518-272-2390. Okay, now let's turn to Mark Dunley's coverage of the Climate Change Superfund Act, a bill that will raise $3 billion annual, annually from fees on the budget polluters in the state. Over 200 groups are urging Governor Hochul to include the Climate Change Superfund Act in the upcoming state budget. The bill, which passed the Senate last session, would raise $3 billion annually from fees on big oil companies to pay for the damage caused by them emitting more than 1 billion tons of greenhouse gases in the state. At the Capitol, we hear from Pete Looker, who played one of three dinosaurs, standing up for the fossil fuel companies. We also hear from Sister Kathleen Pretty, Fred Quell, head of uh, United University uh, Professionals, uh, Alicia Bacon of Mothers Out Front, Bob Cohen of Citizen Action, and Ann Rabe of Nightbird. So we're at the state Capitol, and there's a press conference today about the uh, Climate Superfund Act, and I believe this is Pete Looker, but he's hanging out in this dinosaur costume, fossils for fuels. Um, Pete, why are you here today? Uh, because we need to expand the fossil fuel companies and let the people pay rather than the fossil fuel companies. And what does the Climate Superfund Act do? Oh, that makes the fossil fuel companies pay for what they've done instead of the taxpayers. And why a dinosaur? Because we want to continue this fossil foolishness for another uh, 20, 30 years and warm up the planet. Now, I assume this is not your first climate protest. How, how are things going at the state capitol on climate issues? Well, I guess the, I heard the, I think it was the Senate actually wanted us to, us fossil fools to pay, but the assembly never passed the bill. So the fossil fuels don't have to pay, the taxpayers have to pay for the, the remediation of all the crazy stuff that's going on now, the flooding and everything. Thank you very much, Mr. Looker. 
Another person attending the uh, event today was uh, Sister Kathleen Pretty with uh, Sisters of Mercies. Um, why, Sister, are you involved in uh, trying to do the Climate Superfund Act? Well, we're committed to acting in harmony with creation. And that means taking care of the people who live on the earth and the resources of the earth and all the creatures of the earth. And if fossil fuel companies pollute the earth, it should be their responsibility to clean it up. It shouldn't be left to the rest of us while they reap gigantic profits and continue to destroy the world we live in, the only world we live in, and the only world we have. We have to be aware, like we taught children in school, if you make the mess, you clean it up. You don't leave it for someone else. Are there other climate issues that Sisters of Mercy have been working on? Yes. Um, the Sisters of Mercy in the United States, are we're trying to do connect spirituality and the new story with, with, with ecology, with seeing the earth as, as something created by God, not, not to be abused, but to be uh, used. It's an interesting thing that everything on the earth but us can get along without us, and we can't get along without it. And I think we need to think about that sometimes. Um, they were doing fine before people came along. The trees and the grass and the mountains and the oceans and the fish. So it's, uh, we're just sojourners with them. We're not in charge of them. We're not, we have no right to desecrate them. So we try to act in harmony with all creation and be respectful of all creation and see all creation as part of who we are and that we are part of it, not dominating it. Now, Pope Francis, when he first um, was elevated, put out a very strong statement on, on, on climate. Um, how well is that translated into the uh, church across the, the globe? Well, some places are very good about it. I think places in Africa, I know two sisters from Africa, and they are very good about it, but they suffer more from the climate degradation than we do here. So some places, they're very good. In the United States, we've not been good at all because here it's a political issue. Uh, Next, we catch up with Fred Kowal, who is the, uh, I believe, president of the UUP. Fred, why is the, the union out here today supporting the Climate Superfund Act? Well, I think there are a number of unions uh, that have come to realize that our collective interest is shared by those who are in the environmental movement for many reasons. Specific to UUP, we are an education and healthcare union. Uh, and so therefore, obviously, we are focused on the future for our students and those patients that we heal. And so it is absolutely right that we be involved in ensuring that there is a future and a future where our students and our patients can live in, in a healthy way. Um, but also with this legislation that we are backing aggressively, it would bring in the resources that the State University of New York desperately needs, that we have never recovered from the Cuomo cuts and austerity budgets. Uh, this is a great way to turn money that has been made that harms us into an opportunity uh, for accessible, affordable, higher education and health care in New York State. So that's why we're here. So UUP embraces the concept that the polluters should be the one paying to clean up the climate, not taxpayers? Uh, absolutely, because, you know, it has been a, an absolute 
waterfall of profits for the energy corporations uh, and therefore having them take on the responsibility uh, by law for paying for the cleanup and also to invest in the future that we can all live in. I think it is absolutely just and right that we do so. Thank you very much. One of the other speakers today, I believe, is going to be Elisha Bacon, who is with Mothers Out Front. Um, why is Mothers Out Front believing that polluters should be paying for cleaning up climate change? Well, we're really concerned about future generations, and so it's really essential that we have the people that did the damage to clean up their mess. That's something that we tell children all the time. Um, so it's time for adults to kind of live those values. And in order for us to have the resources to not only uh, clean up the damage, but invest in infrastructure that will be resilient to the climate crisis, uh, we need to have substantial amount of funding and that should come from the people that are the reason why we're in this mess. And what are some of the other key points that the uh, Mothers Out Front would like to see the legislature adopt the upcoming session? We're going to be advocating for a few different things. I mean, especially in the New York Heat Act is something that is top of mind. Um, we want to make sure that we can cap energy costs so that the uh, people who are most vulnerable aren't forced to pay uh, increasingly high energy bills. And then Capital Region Mothers Out Front is also focused on the New York Public Banking Act. We want to see public banking become part of the solution, not only to expand opportunities for individuals to access funding, uh, to do their own um, energy transition in their homes, but also to uh, be part of the answer to the affordable housing crisis, uh, which is part of climate justice, making sure that everyone has a place to call home. Thank you. We also ran into Bob Cohen uh, from uh, Citizen Action. Uh, Bob, why is Citizen Action supporting the Climate Superfund Act? We, it's going to cost billion, uh, billions of dollars to both address the climate crisis and also protect communities from what's already happening. And I think this bill will be a major, major step forward in doing that. The legislature needs to do a lot more, but this is absolutely an important and critical first step. Now, I understand that uh, groups like Citizen Action ask for at least $10 billion. This bill raises about $3 billion. Are there other ways you'd like to see polluters pay and to raise funds for climate action? Sure. I mean, we've all heard it before, but we've got to tax the rich. We've got to go after the biggest, wealthiest uh, people in the state. They have gotten the benefits of New York. They should pay up and meet their responsibilities to the citizens of New York. Ann Rabe from NYCURB. Just wanted to mention this is part of a statewide day of action. We're starting a series of these through the fall, looking at reporting to taxpayers what the climate crisis costs are in their region. So today in Buffalo, they're having a press conference across from a water treatment plant that almost shut down during the Buffalo blizzard that needs millions of dollars to have it have be um, resilient and improved infrastructure. So that's basically $200 million taxpayer money. In Long Island and Mineola, there is a press conference and they're releasing what which is an estimate that is outrageously high. Um, the Long Island Regional Planning Council estimates Long Island will need 75 to $100 billion to deal with climate damage and infrastructure costs. And in New York City, there is $53.6 billion estimated just to deal with New York City Harbor. So these costs are just 
astronomical and growing. And again, big oil, $750 billion in profit since 2021. This has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. So when I hear astronomical numbers, I like to use a little trick to help wrap my mind around it. A million seconds is about 12 days. A billion seconds is about 32 years. And a trillion seconds is over 31,000 years. So on Friday, September 29th, 2023, Hudson Mohawk Magazine roaming correspondent Willie Terry interviewed Larry Whitner, a member of the Solidarity Committee of the Capital District. Larry discussed uh, more history of the Solidarity Committee's involvement in labor and social issues and, involved, and involvement in the civil rights and peace movement. This labor segment is part two of Willie's interview. Okay. Uh, today, uh, struggles by the auto workers uh, struggles um, that were just uh, concluded by the uh, Teamsters, uh, struggles by the uh, postal workers. Uh, <clears throat> and so we've, we've uh, continued uh, to, to rally uh, to their support. Right. And I, I, and I know you don't just deal with labor struggles, too. I know, and I'm reading your newsletter, you also deal with uh, some international uh, issues and, and, and you also deal with the issues dealing with the climate. So mm -hmm. tell us something about those issues that y'all are involved in. Well, um, uh, from the start, we had always been in, in, in favor of a, a decent environment after all workers and other people uh, mm -hmm. have to live in this world. And therefore, we were uh, enthusiastic about uh, maintaining a decent environment for all. So when um, there was an attempt to uh, uh, destroy the, the area around uh, Hudson Bay up in uh, Canada to uh, provide uh, a, a, a power line to come down and uh, provide uh, electrical power uh, for New York State, and the, the uh, state government was ready to, to sign a, a multi-billion dollar contract with this uh, Canadian uh, corporation, we we intervened and we joined with environmental groups, and we helped to to block the the, the state from from uh, signing that that contract. More recently, we've been involved in in, in efforts to uh, block this this um, uh, power line uh, being being built under the Hudson River. We've um, helped to, to get many unions to uh, support the program of building uh, renewable energy uh, resources. And we we're very pleased to see that uh, locally, Albany uh, is going to be a, a, a center for, for building uh, wind power plants. It, it was great to, to, to find that our efforts were, were paying off, that there's now an alliance between unions and those fighting for a decent environment, for environmental uh, sustainability. Um, so we're uh, very uh, pleased about that. And Larry, did I leave out anything else, you know, anything else that you want to bring out about solidarity that I didn't ask? Um, I don't think so. No, uh, I, I think you've done very well with questions. Oh, okay. Just remember that this is going to be a, a monthly thing every month. You know, we're going to be interviewing uh, some mm -hmm. member of solidarity committee to get an update of what you're doing. 
Right, right. Uh, and I know y'all okay. do, do meet uh, once a month, right? Yes, uh, we meet every month on the second Thursday so, um, at the uh, Social Justice Center are, in uh, downtown Albany. What time is it? Uh, well, it, it varies somewhat, but uh, usually at, at uh, 6.30 p.m. Okay. And Larry, I want to thank you, uh, you know, for this interview. And hopefully I get a chance to talk to you again, because like I said, sure. you got a, a, a long activist history. And I oh, like, absolutely. I'd right. like to explore that more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I started uh, activism back in, I guess it was the fall of 1961, mm -hmm. when I took part in anti-nuclear demonstrations, uh, in uh, demonstrations against nuclear weapons testing. And uh, uh, shortly after that, uh, I was a founder of the Columbia College chapter of CORE, where I was going to school mm -hmm. at uh, Columbia College. And I was down in the South. I was a uh, civil rights worker in the uh, summer of 1962, down in the South, down Baton Rouge, uh, where uh, the local core chapter had been uh, closed down by the uh, uh, authorities. And it, its leaders were out on bail on uh, criminal anarchy charges at that point for doing uh, voter registration work. And they they had uh, they were uh, thrown out of Southern University where, where they were uh, students, uh, students of rights activists. And so I, my friend and I uh, from New York, uh, stayed in the home of one of these activists who was out on bail, and we did uh, civil rights work there. And then we moved up to Jackson, Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, with this fellow whose house we were staying at, at uh, Ronnie Moore. Uh, we went with him up to Jackson for a joint core SNCC uh, um, a field secretary meeting, and we stayed in the local uh, Freedom House there um, in the, uh, um, you know, during that uh, summer of 1962, um, which was uh, only, I don't know, half a mile away uh, from where uh, Medgar Evers was uh, shot and killed. Uh, two years late, or was it? No, uh, the next year, I guess he was he was murdered mm -hmm. there uh, on Lynch Street. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I I can tell you a lot of stories about mm -hmm. activism. Is, is, is this Larry? Do you have this in a book, or are you? Oh yeah, you yeah, writing right. your autobiography. Yeah, yeah. I I wrote an autobiography well, uh, called uh, "Working for Peace and Justice." Working for peace um, and justice. Okay. Yeah, uh, working for peace and, and justice. And there's a, a colon or a subtitle, mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, sub subtitle is uh, "Memoirs of an Activist Intellectual." I so yeah, it's it's a a, a story about uh, uh, sixty uh, some odd year, or sixty or so years of of, of activism. All right. And my life too. You know, activism played uh, a major role in how I became a union leader and also got arrested twice, uh, you know, tear gas several times, more than several actually. <laughs> Larry, I want to say be on the lookout for me because I'm going to be after you. To okay, sure. You about, about that because that's some good information. Yeah, oh, I, you know, I uh, knew and, and met. Uh, a lot of people who, who you would have heard of, uh, you know, from uh, CORE and all kinds of, of 
uh, social movements, especially the peace movement, which I played major roles in. Right. I was I was chair of the national board of, of uh, Peace Action, which is the largest peace group in, in the United States. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, familiar with with them, and I I interviewed dozens. Of, well, my my writings it, it included a a, a three volume history of worldwide struggle against nuclear weapons. So I actually um, interviewed uh, many peace movement leaders, I mean, major uh, uh, figures, um, and uh, also interviewed many government officials, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, many of them turned me down when I asked to interview them, but, but uh, some of them actually let me talk to them, and I actually interviewed and have tapes of the interviews with uh, uh, former secretaries of defense, mm -hmm. former secretaries of state, <laughs> members of the National Security Council, not not people who I uh, particularly liked, but nonetheless, they're willing to, to talk to me because I was writing this book uh, about what had happened uh, during uh, their administrations. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they wanted to be in the book, you see have the real story told. So, right. so I, answer, I, I told them that. I, I, I want to have your side. I want right. to hear what you have to say about these things. They're willing to talk to me. Generals yeah. and all sorts of things. <laughs> you don't teach no more, do you? No, no. I, I retired. You know, I retired uh, back in uh, 2000. I'm 82 years old now. So I'm an old guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get the best knowledge. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right. I want to thank you again, Larry. Okay, All thank right. you, Willie. All right, and that, okay, that's Larry Whitner, who yes. is a member of the Capital District Solidarity Committee, but not only a member of the Solidarity Committee, but he also is a scholar, a writer, and a longtime activist. Thank, thank you, Larry, and I'll be in touch with you. Okay, sure, anytime. Yeah, bye now. That was Hudson Mohawk Magazine's roaming labor correspondent, Willie Terry. For more of his conversations with labor leaders in our area, they can be streamed on our website at mediasanctuary.org. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to, or I'm sorry, for those of you just tuning in, I'm your host, H. Boss Jr. <laughs> and I'm your host, Vinny Polito. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, W-O-O-G-L-P, 92.7 FM, Troy. W-O-O-S-L-P, 98.9 FM, Schenectady. And W-O-O-A-L-P, 106.9 FM, Albany. And streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend Find today's story and more at mediasanctuary.org. There are over 28 artists creating murals in South Troy. They will be uh, completing their work this weekend on the 14th and 15th of October. These permanent works were curated and then created with the support of the Art Center of the Capital Region. Hudson Mohawk Magazine's Andrea Cunliffe captures the spirit on the street, speaking with the artists as they create. Church Street Alley between 3rd and 4th in South Troy has become a gallery of murals. 
I'm Andrea Kunla from the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, speaking with the artists as they create their work. What are you guys doing here? Oh, what's your name? My name is Andrea. I'm with the Sanctuary for Independent Media, and we are... Uh, we also have a radio station, Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm down here on this this alley because there's all the artists are here, and you're here with cameras and microphones and everything else, right? Yep. Yeah. Who are you? So I'm Jamel Mosley. I'm the vice president of sales and marketing for Collective Effort. I'm Pat Harris. I'm the president of Collective Effort. Okay, guys, what's Collective Effort? Uh, Collective Effort, we're a creative agency uh, based right here in downtown Troy. We're also uh, old students of Branda. And so we stayed around Troy and fell in love with the city, found a way to, you know, do some storytelling of our own. So, And you're here documenting the uh, artwork that's being created in the alley in Troy. Yeah. yeah. We love the art center. We love public art and we love artists. You know, a, a lot of what we do is helping artists find space and uh, start to build their careers, you know, in ways in which we may have needed the help when we were coming up. So we're just really appreciative for, for spaces like this for artistic freedom. So you're going to complete this documentary. Where What will you do with it after you complete it? We're going to chop it up, make everybody look really beautiful, and then <laughs> we're going to send it back to the Art Center and let them do whatever they want. Oh, well done. Thanks for sharing. Hi, can I talk to you? What's your name? My name's Andrea, and nice yours? I'm Lo. Lo Pador Luce. Oh my gosh, what a great name. Thank you. You're an artist, I can tell. <laughs> I just moved back to the area. I'm from, I just moved back from Denver. From Denver? Mm-hmm. Are you from Troy or? From upstate New York. I'm actually a military kid, so I grew up different places. So I was born out of the country, but cool. um, I grew up north of Syracuse, um, Watertown, Fort Drum. You have selected a huge canvas here, which mm-hmm. is actually a garage door. Yeah, this actually is my first mural. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. What mm-hmm. are you going to do? I'm creating a piece. It's going to be dedicated to a lot of things that's going on in my life. Um, a piece about transition and healing and growth and, yeah, and grief, but a little bit on the brighter side of it. When we come by and see it when it's completed, which is going to be this week, mm-hmm. right? This Saturday. Then how would we know it's yours? Are you gonna have? Are you gonna sign it? Yeah, I'm gonna sign it. Um, with I have a lot of names, so it'll be under Lobador Luce, and I have a, also a, a street art name, which I'll put down there, and I'll probably title it too. What's your street art name? Lowy. Wonderful. <laughs> so this is bright purple. Mm-hmm. It'll be pink, and then there's there is gonna be a purple. The two purples are about to get put in right now, actually. I'm going to come back and take a look. Yes, definitely. Thanks for your time. And I want to know what you're doing here. This is an amazing... This is huge. You're not only doing the garage door, you're doing the whole building. Yeah, I'm going to paint the whole damn thing. Uh, yes, with spray paint, you can paint virtually anything over any surface. Um, yeah, I'm painting a big great horned owl. Yeah, my name is Justin Suarez. I... I'm originally from the Capital Region, but I reside in Rochester, New York. I applied for this project along with everybody else who's here. And yeah, uh, this is my first time painting in the Capital Region in about 17 years. Wow. Um, yeah, 17 years ago, I painted uh, the side of the Spectrum 8 Theater downtown in Albany. 
when I was a youngster, um, and that set me on a path to do this for the rest of my life. Is there a purpose, an issue, a, a statement you're making with this painting? Yeah, a lot of the work that I do revolves around wildlife, in particular birds of prey. Back home in Rochester, when I'm not painting murals, I volunteer as an animal handler at a sanctuary for permanently injured, non-releasable birds of prey called Wild Wings Incorporated. Um, Yeah, we have a facility that's free and open to the public. And yeah, our purpose is to educate the public and encourage them to uh, conserve our environment for these species. So painting the the birds that I work with has become a really, uh, a thing I'm really passionate about. Well, it's a super painting. It's not finished, but I can see the bird, that's for sure. It is a great horned owl. They are native to our area here. And the last thing that I always do with my murals is to add white highlights. So once you see a bunch of white go into the areas that are light but not white yet, um, that's how you know that I'm reaching completion. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. What? What's up? See you later. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Yeah, nice meeting you. Oh my gosh, everyone's going home because no 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 there's another there's a whole nother group coming in are they oh yeah tell me how are you connected with this exciting really exciting event how did you get involved so this program is run by the art center of the capital region it's a project through them judy gilmore she is the community representative for the art center of the capital region and she had called me and asked me if i would come and be a contractor on the project I used to work at the Art Center of the Capital Region. I was a curator of exhibitions and public art. What's your name? Belinda Cologne. Hi. Fun is this? Oh, this is wonderful. I am so excited to work with all of these artists. We have 29 artists coming from all over the country. We have nine artists that are out of the region and 20 artists within the region. Well, that's good. It really is. It was a call for art. It was a fair platform for everybody to apply for it and I think there were over 200 submissions. That's a toughie to have to decide. Exactly. There was a committee that actually decided everything and Judy was part of that committee. Why has it been decided to do this particular project? Within this alley and within other alleys in Troy we want to make it more pedestrian friendly. A lot of people use these alleys so we want to make sure that the disinvested areas of Troy these these alleys are used quite often and so we want to make sure that the neighborhood and everyone who works around and lives around these alleys feels safe in them. This project was a little bit smaller and uh, there was a conversation with the city of Troy and they had asked if it could become a little bit more expanded and larger and Judy was able to say yes I can do this. And so um, that's why I think it started at 10 or 12 artists and now it's 29. Um, because we really wanted to make a difference in this alley. And, you know, Church Street Alley is, is very, like I said, very much used. The neighbors are so excited. The businesses are so excited to have this here. They're hoping to put lights in the alley to make it even more safe and hope that everyone owns it, owns it, keeps it clean, or events. Like we're having this Saturday, there is an event through the bid that they're going to have a block party back here. And the artists are going to be continuing to create their work so people can see the process and respect what they do. 
and all of the neighborhood businesses are going to be involved. Thanks so much for your energy and your time and your creativity. You're so very welcome. Very welcome. Hi. 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 What do you? You're. Are you an artist? I am. Great. And you're here painting a mural. I'm painting a mural, and I'm very proud and happy to be part of this project. What's your name? My name is Benj. B E N J. And where are you from? Are you local? Or I you... live in Saratoga Springs. Oh, that's pretty local. Yeah, localish. Wow, you're just starting this. This what is it? It's an ent- the whole wall is yours? No, I just have this section here. Basically, um, it's uh, I don't know the exact dimensions, but probably about 15 feet wide or so. Wonderful! It's so bright. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty so far. Thank you. Nothing's really there other than some paint. So what's yeah. going to be? Well, I paint these weird little characters and stuff, and they're kind of um, influenced by urban environments. So I think they're going to fit in kind of nicely. They're sort of happy and fun and playful uh, little characters, very geometric. Oh wow, great! Yeah. So is this you do murals often? Um, no, I've done a handful, but um, it's not really my main thing. I like to do them, um, but no, it's not my main thing I do. So are you an, you're an artist? Uh, I am an artist. Um, my day job is I, I teach graphic design at RPI, uh, but yeah, I'm an, I'm an artist on the side as well. Yep. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm bet. looking forward to seeing this. So where are we? We're off of... We're off Congress Street. Off Congress. Yeah, right off Congress between, uh, I think, between 3rd and 4th. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll look for you here, Andrea, and uh, it was great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks so much. Oh, my gosh, this is huge. You're doing this whole wall. Is this all yours? It is, yeah. I'm almost done. I just need to write this one thing. Oh, I'll let you finish. It's amazing. It's like a patchwork. No, that isn't the correct word. What would I call it? Yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's actually uh, the Dominican flag um, abstracted. Um, okay. Are you Dominican? I'm not, but the owner is. I'm from Argentina. Sorry, I'm just... I'll let you go. I'll be back. Just give me your name real fast. Ramiro Devaro. Thanks, Ramiro. Keep going. Good luck. Thank you. It's wonderful. Thank you. Hi. Hi, I'm really well. You're still painting. It's getting dark. I should have known by your painted coveralls. What are you painting? As, if you can believe it, I love orca whales, killer whales. So mine's going to be some killer whales swimming through a redwood forest. So very fantastical. That makes sense. <laughs> Total sense. <laughs> it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Uh, but you're up on a lift. It's terrific. Yes. Keep painting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. See ya. This has been Andrea Kunla for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, capturing the art on the streets and in the alleys of Troy, New York. Okay, you can check out those murals and more in downtown Troy. They're located around the corner from the Arts Center of the Capital Region in Franklin Alley.
Are you curious about what it takes to start a career in the digital media arts? Our own KP sits down with local professor Tom Mackey to, dis- to discuss bachelor degree options. This is KP Holler reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Today I have with me Tom Mackey, professor of arts and media at Empire State University, here to discuss new bachelor's degree programs in digital media arts that will be available at the university this spring. Welcome, Tom. Thanks so much, Kristen. I'm very happy to be here. We're so excited about the launch of this new digital media arts program. So looking forward to the conversation. Why don't you start off by telling us a bit about your role at Empire State University and the school itself? Sounds great. Currently, I'm the professor of arts and media uh, at Empire State University. And I'm also academic coordinator for all of our online courses in the in arts and media and I'm the faculty lead program coordinator for this brand new program. Empire State University, as you probably know, we have a rich history as part of uh, State University of New York. We were invented by uh, Ernest Boyer, who was a chancellor at State University of New York. So we have this long tradition from 1971 as being a progressive university that is uh, part of State University of New York. And we have the distinction of being really the the online university within uh, SUNY. Can you tell us briefly what the field of digital media arts entails and why prospective students should be thinking about building their digital skills? That's a great question. This is an incredibly dynamic area, as, as you know, uh, because I've seen here, too, that you're, you've done workshops on digital storytelling. We know that uh, in terms of the job outlook, this is an area that continues to grow. And we also know just from our day-to-day experience, we're all immersed in this digital world, this connected world. And so this program really is intended to add some depth to an understanding about what that world is, a, is like, while also preparing students for uh, careers in, in, these, in these many different areas. Everything from being a media writer to an animator, a digital photographer, web designer, graphic designer. Uh, As we start talking about the program, I'll go into more detail about that. But this really is an innovative program. There's really nothing like it in SUNY, and it's delivered fully online. So if I'm a person who's thinking about enrolling, what are some of the courses that I can expect? And what does the online format look like for me as a student? That's a great question. Uh, Well, first of all, we have this uh, lower foundation of, of core courses with things like media and visual literacy, introduction to drawing, diversity in the United States arts, and introduction to digital art and design. So that really is intended to create a a foundation for students. Then as they move from the lower level to the upper level, they'll be taking more advanced courses in things like digital storytelling, ethics of digital art and design, information design, history and theory of new media, and uh, a core course in digital media arts. So as you can tell, there are some, uh, in addition to the digital, there's also courses on introduction to drawing because we want students to have those foundation elements in the arts. So students who um, you know, come to Empire State University, uh, it's very much a mentor learner institution, so they'll get a lot of support. And we've been doing this for decades. Uh, it's primarily asynchronous online learning, which means that they can you know, log in after working a long day at work. Uh, they can 
you know, shift a lot of the work to the weekends and evenings. It's, it's really up to them. The asynchronous component works really well. And because we've been doing it so long, there's, there's incredible uh, support for students in being successful. That's really wonderful. Now, if I was somebody who maybe wasn't looking at a career specifically in digital arts and media, are there components of this program that would still be useful to me as I'm thinking about developing a well-rounded skill set for the my professional life? Absolutely. I think that these kinds of skills are really valuable to everyone. And again, based on the job outlook, it, it covers so many different areas that are growing. But someone who just wants to have a better understanding of the current you know, dynamic in the digital world, in a connected world, and try and better understand it, perhaps, for instance, ha- having a deeper understanding of the ethics of artificial intelligence, for instance. So I teach a course called The Ethics of Digital Art and Design. And as you know, this past year, everyone's talking about AI. And uh, specifically in the arts, uh, generative AI related to art and writing. So what are the deeper issues having to do with that? So maybe someone just wants to have a better understanding of their world and engage with these topics while also really being creative. I think the program does a really great job of mixing both theory and practice with a lot of conversation so that students can engage. So they have a deeper understanding through the theoretical perspectives, understanding the history, the social issues, the the cultural dimension of a a digital media art today, while also putting it into practice. Most of the courses have an opportunity, for instance, for students to create digital images or to create short digital stories, and also to work collaboratively with their peers, which is, I think, a key part of the program. You know, online learning provides an opportunity to bring people together. And we really want to do that in a way for students to actually produce knowledge and be creative. So many of the courses, most of the courses have some sort of collaborative component where they're actually producing digital media projects with their classmates. Does this also mean that uh, students can or will get experience using some of the tools of the trade software and programs that they would interface with in their professional lives later? Absolutely. Um, so all students at the university have access to Office 365, so some of, some of those basics. But depending on what, on what the course is, it could also require some of the Adobe products. And many of the courses, too, what we try to do, and, and I think this is part of the, the access issue that is core to our mission, we really try to provide students with openly available tools and to really vet those tools, include them in the courses, but then have students uh, really... Uh, do their own investigation. Uh, and a lot of times we learn from students. They, they know about the latest and greatest app, for example, for, for creating something. So it's very flexible. It's very open-ended. We're very interested in uh, having students learn the, the latest and the greatest technologies while also keeping it open for those kinds of uh, you know, explorations to happen. For instance, my digital storytelling course I link to several openly available resources for being creative, and I let the students decide which ones they want to use for a particular project. And then we also encourage students to really try different ones for every digital story that they tell. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to learn those skills. That's great. And now, if a student already had some experience, say they had already been working in graphic design or they were independently creating content, does Empire State University have a mechanism to give 
credit for that student's knowledge? Absolutely. And that's also built into this program as an option, as it is for all Empire State University students. As you probably know, Empire State University has really been a leader in prior learning assessment, which means that learners, uh, students, uh, can earn college credit for the learning and knowledge that they've gained throughout their lifetime. So that could be based on experience from a a job. It could be based on their own independent, self-directed learning. Uh, We have an entire process in place where students can identify uh, a subject, a, a title, and then go through an evaluation process where that knowledge and learning that they can demonstrate is, is really becomes college credit. So prior learning assessment, uh, prior learning evaluation, which means that the credit has been evaluated in advance. And that's something that's really exciting about this program is that we anticipate that we're going to uh, have interest from students who are already graphic designers or information designers or web designers but they're looking for that credential. So someone with that level of experience and knowledge doesn't have to take a course in web design if they can demonstrate that they already have the knowledge through prior learning assessment. I think that's part of our open access mission, and it's also our decades of experience really of working with uh, adult students as well. So this sounds really interesting and exciting, and I'm sure that some of our listeners are wondering how they can find out more information and when they can begin enrolling in classes in this new degree program. First of all, feel free to reach out to me directly uh, through my email, tom.mackey at sunnyempire.edu, and I can answer any questions about it. But if you're ready, feel free to go to our website, go to our admissions page. Uh, We are ready now to start taking students into the program. So feel free to apply. Uh, Again, go to the admissions page and uh, let them know that this is the specific program that you're interested in applying for because we are accepting applications now. Again, if there are some additional questions about the specific courses or the trajectory of the program or perhaps questions about their uh, experience and knowledge, and to see if they're a good candidate for prior learning assessment, just let me know and reach out to me directly. Great. Thank you so much, Professor Tom Mackey from Empire State University for joining me here today on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Wow. Great, great interview, uh, KP. Uh, If you're curious about the uh, Radio Works, we're always looking for volunteers and interns. To learn more, check out our website at ediasanctuary.org. This Saturday, October 14th, we will have an excellent event coming up to uh, coming to this sanctuary, beginning at 5 p.m. with the workshop, Who's on Your Face? with photographer and doula, Jayana LaFontaine. Beginning at 7 p.m., Jayana will join the photographers uh, behind Women Picturing Revolution and editors of the book, Black Matrilineage, Photography and Representation, on stage for a book talk and discussion. Senna Basila Hickey spoke with the book editors. The book Black Matrilineage Photography and Representation questions how the black female body, specifically the black maternal body, navigates interlocking structures that place a false narrative on her body and that of her maternal ancestors. 
The book's editors, Leslie Deschler-Kanasi and Zoraida Lopez-Diago, who are also co-creators of Women Picturing Revolution, will travel to the sanctuary this Saturday, October 14th, for a book talk and discussion with local photographer Jayana LaFontaine about the themes in this book. Due to scheduling, we interviewed Leslie and Zoraida separately. We'll hear those interviews now. And right now, I'm joined by Zoraida Lopez-Diago. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks so much for having me. So Black Matrilineage Photography and Representation is an incredible resource. And with contributions from some of the most legendary Black women photographers, or really the most legendary photographers. And what would you like listeners to understand about this resource that you've created? You know, I think one of the main takeaways from the um book is that the experiences and how it's reflected in visual representations of Black mothers, it's varied, it's deep, it's multidimensional. Um, all too often, the narrative around Black mothers has, has been incredibly flat and one-sided and often rooted in pain. Um, but, you know, through this book, we're really showing that it's complex just as people are complex. So that's kind of the main thing that I would want people to take away that black life is complex. There's joy um, just as much as there's sadness. And now we're joined by Leslie Deschler Knasi. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much, Sina. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. What are some of the most important aspects of the book, Black Matrilineage Photography and Representation, that you'd like the listeners, attenders of the weekend's event, and future readers to understand? I think just the scope of the book is a good place to start. Um, the book centers Black reproductive rights and practices within Black communities um, on both a practical and a really scholarly level with a foundation and a focus on photography. So while we have about, I think we have 40 international um, contributors uh, over, goodness, I want to say over 20 or so contemporary artists as well who are, you know, interpreting the idea of matrilineage through their own work. So the book is both a scholarly example of um, the history of representation of, of Black mothering and mother, motherhood and other mothering within photography, but also a, a really beautiful um a really beautiful kind of art book. There's color plates as well with um, contemporary photographers and artists interpreting some of the text. So it's a nice mix. There's also a poem. Um, there's several interviews. So we, we really tried to mix it up to keep it a really, a, just a beautiful source book on the topic. And it really shows the range of Black motherhood. It's not, um, you know, all too often we've seen kind of one representation and this shows a more dynamic, uh, you know, storytelling of that experience throughout the history of photography and, and beyond. How did the two of you come together to create Women Picturing Revolution? Yeah, so it came about at least five years ago now. I did a show, I co-curated a show called Women as Witness, um, that looked at how women throughout the world were documenting conflict. And when I co-curated that show, several artists were um, 
from outside of the U.S. and we had a really hard time getting their prints. And so Leslie graciously offered to print a lot of their work. And through that, we came together. We were both moms. We were living in Beacon. Um, She was teaching at ICP and I was deeply involved in photography. And we just realized we were just collecting so many images, constantly trying to find women who were documenting conflict and really defining conflict themselves, thinking about like how that word is defined. Um, and through that came together to form women, re- women picturing revolution. So we, um, we've led panels, we've curated lectures. We spoke shortly before the pandemic at the Tate um, and then had this incredible opportunity to, to create this book. And what can audience members expect from this Saturday, October 14th discussion around Black matrilineage photography and representation? I think it's going to be a really nice, full conversation. We're super excited to be with you all up in Troy. Um, We're really interested in the conversation we're going to have with uh, Jayana and to think about how Black mothers are represented throughout New York, throughout the country, kind of the current climate, political climate that we're in, um, and how that impacts our work and the lives of Black moms. Oh, thank you so much. I expect it to be uh, both visually a beautiful presentation with Gianna's work and our work, and then also really lively conversation. Um, so I'm really very much looking forward to to this. And thank you. Thank you. Black Matrilineage Photography and Representation. Book talk and discussion will take place this Saturday, October 14th at 7 p.m. Leslie and uh, Zoraida will be joined by Jayana LaFontaine. Hear her interview on our website, uh, mediasanctuary.org. Okay. Great job. Um, Sina. Wow, did you knock it out of the park? (laughs) And that's it for our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr., our engineer, Sina Vasily Hickey. We want to thank all of our volunteers who made this episode possible. Contributors to today's programs and episodes are the team, as I like to call it, Mark Dunley, Willie Terry. Andrea Cunliffe in Vinny, the voice. (laughs) And, um, of course, myself, H. Bosch Jr. Talk about doing this right on the fly. All right. So we end our show by saying dance like there's no one watching, sing like there's no one listening, listening, love like you've never been hurt. And last but not least, you better live like it's heaven on earth. This is the show. I am the host, H. Bosch Jr. Until next time, thank you for tuning in.